Hello and welcome back to On The Continent, our weekly look at the big stories in football from around Europe. I'm Luke Moore. And I'm Andy Brassel. Yes, indeed. You have read it correctly. The Bundesliga is now officially coming back. It looks as though it will return behind closed doors, obviously, in the second half of this month. Andy, you must be cock-a-hoop because I know I am. <laughs> well, to, to have some actual football uh, will be nice, um, but I think there has to be some caution in this um, because uh, whereas the Bundesliga is f- like coming back first for a reason, um, because uh, not not only because of the way they've dealt with the spread of the pandemic and the fact that certainly in in UK terms um, that they're they're a little bit further a- ahead of us. It's the fact that they've got a plan locked down very early on in terms of uh, health, safety, hygiene. But as I wrote in my um, Guardian column this week, there's one thing having a plan and there's another thing sticking to it. And that's been clear with a, with a few things this this week, I think. Uh, obviously, there's the, the Salomon Kalou thing uh, that we'll, we'll come to in, in a little bit, I'm, I'm sure. Um, I mean, there have been 10 positive tests so far out of, uh, what, 1,274, um, which the, the the DFL, the German League, have said, well, you know, that shows that our screening process is, is working. It's how it's dealt with from there. And um, again, something we'll come on to in a bit, and something that has, has made nailing down an exact date, and it looks like, um, later today, that exact date will be announced. It looks like it will be the 15th or 16th of, of, of May, that weekend anyway, um, is, is the fact that it's, it's never been, as I think is now clear to, to people who've been um, looking into this story or lo- following this story, it's not just Angela Merkel saying, right, that's great, we're happy with this. It's the fact that you've got to get 16 federal states to agree. And in matters of uh, health and public safety particularly it's it's up to them to to pronounce so there's had to be some sort of group agreement which is has, has made it a, a little tough um so for example when you had three um people testing positive at Köln last weekend um two players and a, and, a, and a physio um they were put into quarantine but there was a, a little bit of concern how the team would go forward. And uh, Berger Verstreter, um, the Belgian midfielder, whose girlfriend has got a, a heart condition, so she's in the, the vulnerable category, he was alarmed, probably understandably, about that the, the they were carrying on. He, he thought the whole squad would be quarantined and, and, and that didn't happen. So clearly, and... I know part of this, you've you've got to realise that when, you know, like when, when we have stuff with VAR and refereeing changes um, every season and we think, well, why don't the players know? You know, they're told at the start of every season, we've got to make them listen. That's the thing because mm. play, players, when they get together in groups, they muck about, they're looking at their phones and you know they're, they're they're human. That's that's normal. I, th- I think we all do a bit of that at work, don't we? Sometimes we're 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 talking when we should be listening. Um, I'm not saying that happens in in the office at Football Ramble Daily, obviously, but I think it, whether the clubs are explaining it well enough, or whether it's down to the players not paying enough attention. Either way, I think there has to be a realization on both sides that this is a positive step for football to come back. Um, obviously, it's not ideal at all having it without fans. But whereas it's a positive step, it's not a given that it's all going to work. This is going to take a lot of work to to keep it on track. And, and that's why I think we need to be a little bit, um, not sceptical, but I, I think careful, tentative about it. Mm. And there was me just trying to be enthusiastic. <laughs> trying to get behind me. Um, no, that, that's, that's what do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> that is important detail. And of course, we have to maintain perspective because um, clearly it's part of, a, of an ongoing process. Um, you're right. You know how I'm going to make it up to you? 
You know how I'm gonna I'm gonna make it up to you by uh, spending 19 euros on uh, purchasing you a cardboard cutout to go on the Nord curver at Borussia Park because Borussia Mönchengladbach have already um, got four and a half thousand cutouts in place. They've got another twelve thousand ordered. You can get yourself cut out and stuck behind the goal for when the teams start playing again. Well, the problem is I've um, because for a number of reasons. One, because I support Portsmouth and they're dreadful. Two, because um, <laughs> we recently did a book club episode about Borussia Dortmund, and three, because I fell in love with it when I went there because I'm predictable and basic. I think I might have decided that I'm now a Borussia Dortmund fan, so I can't have my face on the stands at Richard Glad, but that just won't do at all. But Andy, <laughs> let me return. Let me return to this news because Christian Seifert, the chief executive of the DFL, said. Um, about the decision, it's good news for the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga's vie. It is associated with a great responsibility for the clubs and their employees to implement the medical and organisational requirements in a disciplined manner. Games without spectators are not an ideal solution for anyone, as you said, Andy. Uh, in a crisis threatening the very existence of some clubs, however, it is the only way to keep the leagues in their current form. So roughly echoing, I suppose, what you're saying there, Andy, of course, you put a load more detail in there because that's just how you do it. Um, But after this news broke, um, I spoke to another Christian, Union Berlin spokesman Christian Arbeit, and he was delighted to see the Bundesliga returning after a tricky period in which everyone at this close-knit club have had to work remotely for several weeks. We've been working on, on that few weeks now and uh, uh, yeah we've just been hoping uh, that it would come like that so I, I I was very happy when that decision was made um, even if if it's not a perfect situation of course football without fans is uh, hard to imagine um, but at least uh, there'll be matches again so uh, so the, the football is like pushing forward things in the for the whole society and for sports in, 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 uh, in uh, special anyway. Yeah, and did you? And so, have you had to speak to your team, sort of off the pitch? You got the team that work with you to 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 do any sort of certain protocols, and and also have the players had to be sat down and explained sort of patiently exactly what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable for them? Um, yeah, I mean, um, that, that that was like uh, two two sides of the story, you know. Yeah, we uh, the the the. the Staff of the club, we had to communicate on, di- uh, on digital uh, services, uh, uh, lots of phone calls and conferences, conference calls, all that stuff. The, the players had to train at home the, the first, I guess, two or three weeks um, before they were allowed to come back here to the training ground. And then, uh, yeah, lots of very, uh, lots of special action had to be taken. You know the. They are dressing in uh, three different cabins now. Um, there are not more than like four people in one room at a time. Um, mm. There's lots of hygiene uh, uh, registrations and and and, uh, and and all that stuff, you know. And, and uh, they are uh, they'll be tested um, on uh, on the coronavirus uh, frequently, so. Uh, uh, yeah, just to make sure there's no one um, infected and uh, no one in uh, no in, in personal danger. So the, most of them were very happy when they could come back because it, it, for a football player, I guess it, it's a very strange situation to to just do training at home and to see nobody. Even mm. even so far as there was no whole team training uh, that that starts, uh, I guess today in the afternoon or tomorrow. Um, some of them didn't see each other for like six weeks now. They know uh, there might be a late uh, group of, uh, of of training, and and there's you know there's the striker and there's that defender. But I didn't personally see him like for weeks now. So that's that's strange for a team. But now they're coming back together and they go to a small training camp uh, before it starts next week then. Mm. And, so, and you said that most of the players are very happy and excited to be back. If there were, was a player or two that didn't feel comfortable, what would Union do to to understand that? Would you let them stay away? Yeah, sure. So, I mean, all all our players are human beings. They got parents. They got kids. They got wives. They got friends. Uh, and 
As we all know, um, that there are risks, special risks, if someone in the family, you know, is very, a very old person or has uh, a special personal risks due to other uh, former infections or, or anything like that, then, of course, we, we would, you know, uh, find a personal way to, to deal with that. So there would be no pressure of the club um, to push someone into a situation he he couldn't cope with. Um, um, actually, uh, we are in, in the, we are happy enough that um, no single player came came to us and, and asked if he could stay away. It's like the the the, the, the coaching staff um, did a lot of um, talks in the last week because there was enough time to talk to each single person uh, long enough to uh, uh, let them talk about. Um, their uh, family situation and all that stuff and how they feel and if they are ready, if it, uh, if it would start again and all that. So uh, uh, they got a very good impression of how the players feel. And at the moment, um, yeah, it's like everyone is, is really uh, yeah, looking forward to, to do the first team training with the whole team to do a, a, a very first tackle and, and a very first, uh, you, you know, something, on, on the pitch that is nearly similar like uh, like a football match. Yep. And and finally for now, Christian, I know Union fans are a, a really important part um, of the club's story, uh, particularly in recent years and their and their promotion to the Bundesliga. How how do you plan to keep your passionate supporters involved when they're not allowed in the stadium? Do you have any ideas around that? Yeah, well, that, that's a very uh, serious problem for us because uh, uh, you, you know the, the the club is like living from uh, you know being very close together, and uh, uh, so that that's not going to be possible for for the rest of the season, and uh, um, it, it's hard to to uh, yeah to do anything that that comes uh, close to it. So yeah. what we tried, what we tried to do in the last weeks was, uh, yeah, like um, building a community on digital ways. Like we did yoga sessions, we did uh, um, courses for uh, you know training courses for that everyone could do at home. We we sorted out uh, the best goals of of the last years. The, we we showed again all the goals of of the season so far. Um, yeah, there, there's no other chance than trying to continue to, uh, you know, to keep in contact on the digital way because no one's allowed to come here. Um, mm. I know it's, it's going to be very hard, but uh, people understand that that uh, that it's important to to start to come back to to football because once we started playing at all, uh, I guess the moment comes closer uh, when it will be allowed to to come back to the stadium again for the people. I know I don't know how long it's going to take. If it's uh, if it's two or three months, or if it's four or five months, we will see. Let's all just hope that the, that the Corona crisis is, is under control uh, very soon, and uh, yeah, and that we we can slowly but uh, anyway come back to to a yeah a life that we all would love to live. Andy, really interesting to hear from Christian there. Yeah. Um, how, how do you, how do you react to that, and how do you react specifically to some of the points that he made on the back of what you were talking about at the start of the show? Well, I, th- I think the point that he made about um, players not being forced to do it—that that's something that's really, mm. really important. And Union are a club that do things differently. That they are a, a club that um, is very close knit. Um, both in, in the in the dressing room, um, in, in terms of the people who work at the club and w- with the supporters, of, of of course. So that's that's something that's very clear. Um, but I think this is something that's absolutely integral in the success of the, the comeback of the Bundesliga, and not but just the Bundesliga. Actually, like any league in Europe, and that includes the the, the Premier League that wants to come back, there has to be consistent dialogue with. The, the the players there has to be that because I don't think to say to the players look we need this to work financially you're just going to have to get on with it and mm. that is that is not a way to to get it to work so that was a really good thing to hear 
Yeah, I completely agree. Um, I also um, admire um, the way that Union are... The one thing I love about German football is that they, they clearly feel it. I could tell when I spoke to Christian, they, they clearly feel it very keenly, particularly at a club like Union that we've talked about all season, how important their fans are. Um, he, they clearly are thinking about the fans and they're, they're a little bit... I mean, for want of a better word, they're a bit upset that the fans aren't going to be a part of it because they genuinely see them mm. as being a huge part of the club. But this is, yeah. I suppose, the lesser of two evils. Um, but but one thing I did want to pick you up on, you mentioned your Guardian column earlier, Andy, and I know that you don't write the headlines and all that kind of stuff. The journalists always say that to get out of jail, don't they? But the, <laughs> I believe the headline, or certainly some one part of the of the of the of the um, subheader or whatever, said that the Bundesliga has put its reputation on the line here by doing this. Do, is that something you you would agree with that? And and, you, and if you do agree with that, let me know what. Let us know why you think that. Well, to an extent, it, it, it is, yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not necessarily sure that that's the top line. Sorry, subs. But um, <laughs> I, I, take it up with them, mate. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I do think it, it, it is a reputational matter, obviously, because the Bundesliga has a very good reputation internationally um, with uh, connecting with supporters, with atmosphere, and obviously. Being the big league to go first, inherently there is some risk involved. There's no doubt about that. That yeah. doesn't mean that they they definitely shouldn't do it. That's not what I'm saying at all. Um, but I, I think there does have to be um, a degree of circumspection to it. And yeah, it, it is like anything through this whole crisis being um, just a, a, a bit slower, a bit more measured, um, a bit ready to adapt. And I think the fact that they've had these plans in place from the beginning is is, is something that's 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 going to work for them. Um, but we, we can't cut ourselves off from what supporters think, and a lot of them are very very unhappy about this. And um, you know, I think another part of it is the TV rights. Um, another another thing I mentioned in the article is the the fact that they have. Um, this this concept conference where basically um, when all the matches take part, uh, the majority of matches take um, place simultaneously on a Saturday afternoon, they'll show them simultaneously. So you can watch individual matches or you can watch one big mashup where they go, oh, we've got a corner at Dortmund and, you know, there's, there's, a, there's a chance at Hertha, whatever. Um, th- there was um, the suggestion from local authorities and particularly... Um, the Bavarian government, and that's key because Sky, the major rights holder, is based in Munich, um, that this should go free to air. So people didn't have to crowd in the front rooms of people who had Sky boxes and, you know, to give something back as well to those match attending fans who who, who won't be able to, to, to go to the matches at, at the moment. Um, now, Bavaria was was quite big on this. It, it seems that the rights holders are pretty reluctant to to flip it over to um, ZDF and ARD, who are the um, who are the, the the public broadcasters who have limited rights to the Bundesliga as well. I mean, it's it's not completely unprecedented that you would have a game and have one or two a season that are shown on free to air TV. Um, but I mean, the excuse that's been used is well, there's you know, in, in terms of um, the TV contracts, they'd all have to be rewritten. And um, Uli Hernes, um said, well, it would just be a case of, we don't want it to be a case of uh, the public broadcasters freeloading off the, the pay broadcasters. I think you have to say it's a really unusual situation and everyone is being asked to give a bit here. The fans are being asked to to give a lot, not just in terms of turning up but um, or not turning up, but... Um, the fact that quite quite a lot of the clubs are saying, well, you know, you can claim the money back for the rest of your season tickets that you don't use or the tickets that you bought that you're not going to be able to use, but you could let us keep the money to ease the financial burden. Certainly in the, the case of Schalke, that was their thing. Um, other clubs such as Köln, for example, have said, well, if you let us keep the money, we'll spend it on grassroots and amateur football, which I think would be a really nice thing to do mm. for the city of, of, of Cologne. Um, but I think everyone has to give a bit, and I don't really see why the broadcasters should be exempt from that. 
Yeah, I wonder if a solu- a potential solution to this, um, and I hope this doesn't come across as callous, because of course there are. I, I understand that there are far bigger issues at play here than the money and and the commercial nature of this. But clearly, um, there is a financial imperative as well, which is an aspect of it. I wonder if a sponsor could step in and say, "Look, as you've said, Andy, everyone's got to give a little. Everyone's got a uh, got to make a bit of a compromise." Could a sponsor step in and say, "We'll make up some of the financial shortfall." of this going to free-to-air TV or whatever. Um, I wonder what your thoughts were on that. But I also wonder if um, if it's is – there, is there an argument to say that if it's put on more TVs, is it means there's less – people are less likely to go to each other's houses and break protocol because they'll all have access to it and they won't have to go somewhere else to watch it. So it's kind of a two-part question, if that makes sense. Yeah, well, the, the, the second part, that's – Absolutely, the plan. Um, I, I don't think there's there's any doubt about that, and um, a number of people have have, have talked about that, in, including Uli Hernes. Um, in, in terms of a, a sponsor, yeah, well, maybe this is the perfect uh, moment for the Saudi Arabia National Investment Fund to get involved. Oh God, here we go. <laughs> so your answer is basically compared me with Uli Hernes and brought in the Saudi Arabia investment vehicle. Thank you very much. I'm here to help. I'm here to help. <laughs> I, I, I think, um, yeah, it's, uh, the, the interesting thing, actually, when we talk about external investment, is this is inevitably, almost inevitably, a question that's that's been brought up um, post-crisis. The fact that um, Herbert Hainer, uh, the, the new um, president of, of Bayern, he said, for example, well, yeah, maybe we have to look at the 50 plus one rule again. And you're like thinking, there was always going to be one person who brings this up. Yeah. I mean, it's been a couple of people who've who've brought this up. But I think the 50 plus one rule, which as we know, German football holds so dear, and some believe have been has been attacked in a way by the rise of RB Leipzig and how they've worked to, to circumvent this in a way. This is something with increasing financial burden on clubs that I think is going to be looked at again. And the defenders of 50 plus one, I think are going to have to work hard to make sure it's preserved. Oh, one thing's absolutely for sure, and not just when it comes to German football. The world is going to change in a variety of ways at the back of this. And as ever, for good and for bad, when there are, when there's, when there are crises, there are opportunities. And some people will look to exploit their position from opportunity. That's just how that's what human nature can be like. And yeah. and on the other hand, in a positive way, amazing innovations and amazing developments will happen because of it. So that's not to trivialise what's happened because it's been obviously a disaster and a, and a very, very tragic event for, for, for you know, quite literally millions of people. But that's always the nature of how things go after this type of thing. So we'll have to watch with interest to see what happens. But on, on the subject of, um, of what we talked about earlier on testing and behaviours necessary to ensure the safe restart of, of, of the Bundesliga and the Bundesliga's fight. Solomon Kalou, someone you mentioned earlier, has been suspended with immediate effect from her to Berlin after a video emerged of him breaking uh, protocol. Now, I don't imagine that was a tough decision for Herter because he is, what, 33 now? He doesn't play very much. and he's 34. Weeks away. 34 even. God, doesn't time fly when you're breaking <laughs> protocols? Um, and he's he's out of contract uh, fairly shortly. But um, give us a little pricey, Andy, if you wouldn't mind, about what he's actually been caught doing and why this might affect any future job that he perhaps was looking forward to. Yeah, well, he, he did a Facebook video of him... Sort of strolling into uh, the club's training ground. At That's how you know he's Platz. thirty-four. Facebook <laughs> would have been on TikTok my, if he was a, if it, he was a prospect. It, it wasn't MySpace, at least. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, in, in, he, in he came. He shakes hands with uh, Vedad Ibisevic, um, and then with Henrik Kuchno, who's the fitness trainer. Um, and after they've had a little bit where they're sitting around in. In, in the dressing room uh, talking about how their, their pay is short. They're looking at their pay slips, um, which obviously doesn't look great. I mean, Herter have since said that it was an accounting error. It's, it's not to do with any, anything to do with prearranged pay cuts that have, that have um, obviously been um, put forward after, after the pandemic. But um, yeah, the, the bit where Abisevich is, is, is sat there going, are they fucking with us? And he's doing it in English because they're talking in mostly English and a bit of French, a little bit of German. Andy, Ibisevic is bloody hell. He's old enough to know better as well. He did really well to get out of this unscathed, in my opinion. 
very well. I mean, he's he's the captain as well, you know? Yeah. And he's meant to be the guy who's multilingual, who's experienced, who binds the dressing room together. So, of course, we can't overlook the bit where um, Kalu goes into a room where um, one of one of the physios, uh, David Demel, is uh, seems to be doing a COVID nineteen test on Jordan Torunariga, the defender. Um, they've totally thrown Kalu under the bus here. I mean, I don't think he's behaved well at all. Clearly, um, but there, there are other players who should know better. I mean, whatever the, the the thing about the accounting error or whatever, it looks absolutely terrible. And Abisevich didn't say, don't shake my hand. The fitness trainer, Kutchner, didn't say, don't shake my hand. And when he goes into the room where the COVID-19 test is taking place on Torin Riga, they say, can you stop filming that? They don't say, you can't do that. <laughs> they say, yeah. can you stop filming that? Which I think is an important distinction, actually. So it was interesting to see. And uh, Michael Pretz, who's the general manager of the club, said, well, you know, um, he acted alone. Uh, and you're thinking, did he? Really? Really? Mm. And also, it's interesting to hear um, the, the the Berlin uh, Senate, the local authorities, are, are saying now, and they're not saying it in a threat way, they're just saying it in a matter-of-fact way, that they're going to do unannounced checks on Herta, and of course, Union, I suppose, as well, just to make sure they're adhering to these protocols. I mean, the thing is, you can have this incredibly detailed plan as the DFL have set out, but now it's put something in people's minds. If they were doing it, is is that just what we've seen filmed? Because if Kalu hadn't, and I'm I'm not saying that the players should take sneaky Facebook videos or Facebook Live videos of of their team. Of course they shouldn't. And we've seen problems like that in other sports before. Of course, with the uh, the Nick Young, D'Angelo Russell, and Ziggy, Iggy Azalea thing in, um, in in basketball, the Lakers a couple of years ago. But um, you know, if he hadn't have done this video, would we even have known about it? Th- that's the concern, isn't it? And of course, mm. if we go back to the first day of training, and I, I know this is contextual because it was several weeks ago now. We talked about it on here, didn't we? The fact that uh, Corinton Toliso turned up on the first day of Bayern training, and the first thing he did was was give Kingsley Comar a hug. And, you know, we, we sort of heard a little bit of it. It's not quite the same thing, obviously, but, you know, uh, Christian Arbeit was saying before, you know, the, the, the players are like kids in that they're, they're delighted to be back. The thing is that I think they have to be walked through this. They have to be reminded of this at every time because I think it is natural when you haven't seen people for a bit. And I'm, I'm not just talking about footballers here, but people in general, you know, you've got to keep it all in, haven't you? It's it's very, very hard to not react emotionally to people you haven't seen for a bit. And what's the first thing you want to do when you see people you know and like and work with? You know, you want to you want to say hello. I'm not saying Kalu hasn't made a mistake here, a, a bad mistake, but just to say it's all on him, I, I that doesn't wash with me. No, I, I do take the point, and I think you make some absolutely valid uh, points there. And uh, but I do think there's a difference, and this—that's the the last point you made there about um about reminding ourselves and how we have to alter our behaviour. That applies massively to like the media industry as well. Well, the, you know what we're like in the media industry, Andy. Yeah, we're all kind of yeah. lovies, and we all love, you know, being, we're all quite tactile and and all that type of stuff. And that's all going to have to change. So so I do think there's a difference. I don't know the situation around Corentin Taliso. But if he's not had him had it walked, if he's not been walked through it by his um, by his bosses, and he's just accidentally gone straight over because he's he's fallen into that habit, I, I understand it's against the protocol and it's not what they need and it's not going to be conducive to to the stop and the spread of this pan, of, of this virus. But that is different to what Kalu did, I think, and I do understand that group responsibility is important and that mm. he needs to be told as well that that is essentially an advertisement for what's happening in the Bundesliga at the moment and he should be given short shrift. I do think there's a group responsibility to it though as well and people should should all ultimately take responsibility alongside him. So yeah, it's, 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 it's something that I hope we don't see too much of but it is something that's going to be a real um, 
sort of news hot potato, isn't it? Particularly when Bundesliga is the only league that's going to be available for people to watch. They're going to be going to get the kind of scrutiny that, um, that that perhaps they haven't quite been used to. And so it will be incumbent upon the players and everyone involved to, to uphold the highest standards of behaviour. Geraldo Becker, Geraldo Becker, Anderson, das gibt es nicht! 3 zu 1 für Union Berlin! Sebastian Anderson mit dem 3 zu 1. Und die alte Försterei flippt aus! All right, let's turn our attention to Italy then. Um, the Juventus Sporting Director Fabio Paratici gave an uh, interview to Sky Italia about the future of the transfer market. That was this week. He appears, interestingly, to broadly favour a move to a more NBA-style trade model of trades and free agency, but was at pains to say it wasn't a directive or a proposal, more just an idea at this stage. And he explained the need to be creative and how the sport operates in this area in the future. That is, of course, clearly because financially the whole football world is going to be completely unrecognisable to what we're used to and we may not see um, these kind of transfer fees that have been escalating over and over again across the years uh, any longer. Andy, um, just because you are also a resident NBA expert as well, would you be able to give us a very brief overview of how the NBA over in the US currently works in terms of trades and free agency and how and why this could be an option for football, if indeed you think it could be? Um, Firstly, I'd I'd say enthusiast rather than expert. (laughs) Secondly, um, I I, I think basically um, this is not the first time that Paratici has has, has brought this up. Um, So it's it's not just a knee-jerk reaction to the crisis, and it's not just one of these Gordon Taylor-style brainstorming things. Yeah, I think so. Haven't we all? Haven't we all? Listen, guys, um, everything about this is brilliant. we just got to do all of that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We all have to be like Mike. <laughs> That's the plan. Yeah. But um, the, I, the, the principle is quite an interesting one. The, the idea that instead of buying and selling players um, is that they're traded. So you swap players um, or you swap one player for a couple of other players because they do basic salary matching. So I I don't know, say if I have, uh, imagine this is all about suspension of disbelief here. Imagine Cristiano Ronaldo gets paid the the meager figure of 10 million euros a year. So if I'm uh, trading him to, let's say, AFC Wimbledon, AFC Wimbledon would send back... I was with you until that point. Yeah, thank you. Uh, AFC Wimbledon would send back, say, five players who earn 2 million each a year for example. That's that's kind of broadly how it works. Um, so I understand what he's talking about. I think there are a, a couple of obstacles to this. Uh, firstly, I'm not sure how salary matching would, would work. Um, secondly, uh, salaries are fluid at the moment, I think, because, you know, there are certain clubs who are not just pushing for a a temporary change uh, in previously agreed salaries, but a, a lasting change, and that's something that we'll we'll come back to a, a bit later in the pod, I'm sure, as as, as well. Um, also, there's the fact that if if you're saying to clubs um, outside the top bracket, not just outside the top flight, but outside the top bracket of elite clubs, okay, you can you can no longer balance your books by selling players, even if the transfer market's diminished, I mean, they're going to be more reliant on that forever for, than ever for survival. I mean, if you're, I, I don't know, a um, a club lower down, uh, Serie A, say, say if you're, you know, maybe even a Roma, if you're in a bit of trouble at the moment, maybe you would say, yeah, all right, well, um, maybe we'll sell... Saniolo. If you can only trade him, what's the benefit from that? There's there's no yeah. benefit from them. So, uh, you know, I, th- I think this is where we are financially in, in football at the moment. We have to think not just how football can be restructured in a more equitable way to protect it in the future, 
but actually how we can preserve clubs in the current model. So I, I don't think, I, I there, also can be think a, there can't be a this is year zero, let's change it now. Like when I say when, that mm. can't happen. No, I also think that the analogy falls down when you take into account that essentially, although you get teams, as far as I understand it, and as the resident basketball enthusiast, I do apologise. Uh, perhaps you could <laughs> you could uh, you could put me right here, but as far as I understand it, although NBA teams are of different abilities and different qualities and, and vary from season to season about how good they are, they are effectively all playing at the same level. Whereas mm. if if you have a situation where you have a really good young player at a League One club in, in this country who wants to go to a Premier League club, well, the Premier League players aren't going to go and be exchanged. They're not going to go there because there's too much of a pyramid. So yeah. th- that to me, and, and, and also around the free agency thing, um, that, that kind of falls down as well, chiefly because, again, as far as I understand it, an NBA player needs a certain amount of seasons to be able to earn free agent status. Yes. Uh, otherwise, they're restricted, which means they can sign with another team, but the current team they're with has a right to match it and have first refusal, essentially, and keep them. And exactly. then they decide one way or the other, which is completely different to, of course, the precedent set uh, by the Bosman rule. So I understand, again, and I've said this about 400 times since since lockdown, <laughs> that creative <laughs> solutions are needed and I welcome them and I enjoy talking about them and thinking about them. This one doesn't necessarily seem necessary, well, it doesn't really seem to fit. But the quote from the article from Paratici did, um, this, this quote did jump out at me. He said, if you can't buy a player for X million, perhaps you can try and rent him for the longest stretch possible. This will be beneficial to be able to obtain the players without a large economic impact. The reason I bring that to the table is because what he's essentially talking about there is almost an abolishment, not an abolishment, but a very, very big reduction in the frequency of how often transfers actually happen. Which, which perhaps might be a more sensible approach. That, to me, doesn't feel a massive departure from the way things are, are, are done at the moment, though. I, I think... Well, in Italy, you, specifically? Just everywhere. I think if right. you look at the amount of high-profile loans that there are, um, simply to spread the cost over accounting years, I mean, that's something that's done all over the place. I mean, we spoke, was it, was it last week, about... Uh, French clubs facing a difficulty because they were still owed money from transfers. You know, not all clubs pay transfer fees up front. You know, you look at Kylian Mbappe to uh, uh, potentially avoid FFP sanctions. He was loaned from f- for the first year, wasn't he? Yeah. From from yeah. from Monaco to to, to Paris Saint Germain. So I, th- I think uh, where, where is the, where is the the NBA trade thing is is interesting. I think the main part of what Paratici is, is, is talking about is is very actionable and very logical because, say, in, in, in this instance, for example, when you talk about a long-term loan, you know, you think uh, Kingsley Coman was a, was a two-year loan when he first went to, went to Bayern from Juventus before they completed the deal. These, I don't think it's a massive, massive move from what's happening already. And if you look at Italy... In particular, and taking it back to your point before, if we're talking specifically about Italy, co-ownership only ended a couple of years ago. There are a lot of loans, a lot of exchanges, and that sort of creativity, I think that makes a, a lot of sense. And of all the major leagues in Europe, because, I mean, as our mate James Horncastle would have put it, with Serie A clubs being keen on creative accounting when it comes to, to, yeah. to transfers... I think it's a really good scenario that, that, interestingly, other leagues could could look at because I think Italy will adapt to that new sort of mode of operating in the transfer market a lot easier than a a lot of other countries will. And we talked about people watching how the Bundesliga is going to come back, other leagues looking how the Bundesliga is going to come back. And we've had it in the past, like commercially, other leagues looking at the the Premier League and seeing how they do things. And Serie A in particular has been very, very keen on aping the Premier League to the point that they brought in Boxing Day fixtures the year before last, didn't they? You know, that was, that was their idea to try and get involved in the international TV market. I think that every one of these major and quite a lot of the minor leagues will have an interesting perspective on this and I think now more than ever 
for countries all over Europe not to be insular, but to look at each other and to share best practice, I think is going to be the way to, to get through this and, and develop a, a new type of, of operating top clubs. Yeah, and the only thing I would add to that is just that um, the thing that sticks in my mind, bringing it back to to these shores for a moment, is a an article I read, <clears throat> excuse me, the other day that said, um, I mean, I forget the actual amount of time, but if Arsenal, as an example, went this defined amount of time without being able to have fans through the door, um, that was going to be a hundred and fifty million pound hit into their balance sheet, into their accounting, and and their business. So. If, I understand Arsenal is a particularly um, strong example of, of match day revenue, but um, generally speaking, the principle relates across all um, top clubs, as far as I understand it, um, or most of the big top clubs with certainly big stadiums. So that's that's clearly a hugely uh, impactful development. Now, what I wonder you say that you, might... you say that it's not even two Nicola Pepe's, is it? <laughs> well, that's in many ways that illustrates my point because what I what I wonder might happen, and there's a big E triple P shaped um, elephant in the room here when I say this, and I understand yes. clearly that something would have to change around that. But I wonder if what's going to happen is we move back to a system where. Um, almost involuntarily, where it's about developing local talent, it's about bringing players through your academies and and being being able to hold on to them longer, and the transfer market returns to what it was before, yeah. which was essentially a way of of um, of propping up or, or helping to fill a hole here and there, or to give you a little bit extra, rather than the clubs being entirely reliant upon it. And I wonder as well if then on top of that, maybe they just limit the amount of transfers the teams can make each year or something like that. Something I think something will have to change. It's, it's very much up in the air at the moment, but I do think that the game is going to be hugely affected going forward, uh, as, I'm, as I'm sure we all do. Andy, this leads us on to another phenomenon that I really wanted to talk about relating to transfers. Um, and... This, this comes from a market article which you turned uh, my attention to, uh, something we've discussed briefly before, and you and I have been calling the untransferables. There was an interesting piece in, in market, as I said, um, about how the players that are going to find it almost impossible to find a new club due to their wages now being ultimately completely anachronistic in this new world of football. So market names them as Gareth Bale and James Rodriguez of Real Madrid. Philippe Coutinho and Usman Dembele of Barcelona, Diego Costa of Atletico Madrid, and surprisingly to me at least, Elia Quimengala of Valencia, as examples of these players who are now essentially, due to events completely beyond their control, uh, have priced themselves out of the market wages-wise unless they agree to take massive pay cuts. Now, I understand that Gareth Bale might well have been in that position before the pandemic, but <laughs> the rest of them probably weren't. And at the very least, this has hugely accentuated it, hasn't it? Yeah, it's, it's, it's something that makes it very tough. And it makes it very tough for the clubs as well. Um, because whereas they might take a, a temporary wage cut, what does that do for them? I think Real Madrid are the one. The Real Madrid and Barcelona are the ones that you really have to look at because these are the two uh, clubs who are rocking the two bi biggest wage bills in football, and th there's a lot of obligation on there. And you know, you look at James Rodriguez. I mean, everyone talks about Bale, and I, I understand that, but um, James Rodriguez, who's like hardly been used since the opening month or two of the season, eight million euros net a year. And yeah. really, this takes us back to, I guess, probably about 10 years. Because when you think, there was that summer of 2009 where Real Madrid signed um, Cristiano Ronaldo, uh, Karim Benzema, and Kaká. And Kaká quickly became a dead weight because he's got this knee injury that strongly compromises the way he plays. And he's never going to get back to what he is before but they can't flog him as well and that actually put them in a position and when people say that Cristiano Ronaldo is snarky well I can't think of many players of his level in, of, of football who would have well I can't think of many players of his level in football period but uh, of players who produce that much for Real Madrid or a club like Real Madrid he didn't get a wage rise for what three years three and a half years because mm -hmm. they couldn't because Kakar was on the book still. And if they're stuck with Bale and James, particularly in this situation, I mean, we've been reading, and I realise a lot of it's agent talk, 
and now it's maybe starting to become a little bit more realistic but transfer speculation in the last couple of weeks linking uh, Real Madrid to the likes of um, Paul Pogba, Eduardo Camavinga how can they make it happen? How can they make it happen if they've still got those guys on the books? You look at Usman Dembele, um, 12 million a year before you even get to bonuses. Felipe Coutinho, who's had a loan spell that is not going to convince, well, even before this, was not going to convince Bayern to to, to, to buy him permanently. Um, I, I mean, you know, what are they going to do? That They, they want to make their, their team younger. They want to make their team stronger. And they've got very little room in which to do it. And again, they're continually linked with players left, right, and center. This is interesting. If we look at this uh, uh, as Spanish, uh, if we look at Spanish football as a whole, you know, you, you brought up Atletico, uh, Diego Costa, uh, Tom Lamar, even Vitolo is, is, is a big earner. I mean, Diego Costa, the obvious move would have been China, wouldn't it? Now, I think I, I don't know nearly enough about the Chinese Super League or actually Chinese economics, and especially post-pandemic, to know how this will work. But how will the Chinese Super League come back? Will there be the money to do anything? Or will there will there be a further rowing back? Or, on the other hand, will the Chinese Super League say, you know what, to show that China's in good nick and show that Chinese Super League's still a destination, will we have to go out and buy a few big players to to, to get us back in the game? And to, to make us credible again. And in that case, that could work out very well for Atletico, couldn't it? But if not, I mean, Atletico also have a pretty big wage bill. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, isn't it? Because if you look at, if you take Gareth Bell specifically, 15 million euros a year, 17 million euros if he hits bonuses, which of course involves him playing and winning things, presumably. Um, he's, in, he's in contract for another two years. What, as, as I said, as I mentioned a, a touch earlier, if external events have now meant that Gareth Bale's salary is essentially anachronistic and is no longer the salary that you expect a player of his um, talent and age to be able to earn. So what are his options? Well, his options are to take a pay cut and move somewhere else. And then that's not even guaranteed because even if he takes a huge pay cut, it's not necessarily guaranteed that um, another team would want to bring him in because it, it may even be his pay cut level is much harder than other people can can afford. Or he has to adjust his expectations completely or he has to move to China, which he's been linked with before, which as you've alluded to there, Andy, and I'm in the same boat as you, I don't know enough about the economics of the country post-pandemic to know that may no longer be an option for him. But what are we looking at then? We're looking at a guy who needs to sacrifice what are as grotesque as you and I might find them in terms of his financial expectations and principles. He's either going to have to relax them or he's essentially going to retire at 32 in two years' time and not play football anymore. So yeah. it's an example yeah. of how how badly the, 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 the sport has, or how drastically the sport has changed. Usman Dembele, again, he's out of contract um, in two years' time, only 22, so a little bit of a different situation. But he's going to have to get used to the idea that it's very unlikely he's ever going to be able to get a salary anywhere near this ever again. So these guys are going to have to make what we would consider to be a pretty easy sacrifice, but to them, they're going to have to change how they live their lives and what they expect of themselves and what they expect of their own power. Yeah, absolutely. And I think you're right to bring up... Dembélé and Bale as the two big ones. And of course, as you said, there is a different situation because there are different ages. But a, a lot of people thought this last injury for, for, for Dembélé was maybe a step too far for Barcelona, that maybe this would be the point they give up on him. And I think there's actually a lot in common with the, their situations. Obviously, there's a decade between them, near as damn it, between him and Gareth Bale. But these are both players who've actually produced for their current clubs and they've made vital contributions for their current clubs, certainly in the case of, of, of Gareth Bale, that, that a little bit more. Um, but, you know, it comes to a point where the difficulties and especially the physical difficulties outweigh that. And, you know, you know th these guys aren't just going to have to move. They're, they're going to have to like almost restructure their images as, as, as footballers because, you know, there's a certain suspicion with fitness that's grown into something else that's unreasonable and unfair in, in both cases, uh, sort of 
the perception of them, I think is unfair in both cases. But they're going to have to rebuild those reputations because your reputation does really stick in football. And it's it's going to be really tough for those. It's interesting, actually, Usman Dembele, um, because he was withdrawn from the Barcelona squad for the rest of the La Liga season, he's not automatically entitled to a coronavirus test, which I thought was quite interesting. At the moment, because there are limited corona tests, they're all for the registered players in the first team squads. Of course, he's been, since been replaced by Martin uh, Brathwaite, who they they bought out of uh, the transfer window with their with their medical joker, which we talked about on OTC a, a, f- a few months back. But of course, if Dembélé does get fit enough, he could make the Champions League in August. So it's a, it's an interesting situation. Yeah, and and I don't expect anyone listening, and and I'd be in the same boat as 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 the people listening to have any sympathy with this but they, they do have to really understand that, that, that external events can affect industries no matter how insulated they may seem in the shape of of top level football i mean I, I always think about um the industry that we're at least tangentially associated with which is the radio industry i mean there were people 30 40 years ago uh, perhaps even a little bit more recently than that getting paid exorbitant amounts of money to be radio presenters and work in radio and then the financial crisis of 2008 hit and and commercial radio at least has completely effectively died people can't earn that kind of money anymore because external events affect industries and so people need to get used to the idea that football isn't exempt from that and the the, the quicker they do the the better off the sport is clearly going to be because if the money isn't there because the product isn't being made and the commercial opportunities are no longer what they once were, footballers are going to bear the brunt of that because they bore the benefit of it when it when it went the other way. So that's just how it is. That's how the world appears to be at the moment, doesn't it? And and so there's going to have to be a lot of changes that people are going to have to get used to. And from, from a fan's point of view, watching games away from stadiums is something we're going to have to pay uh, the price of and, and, and all the rest of it. So it is an interesting time, but a time for huge adjustments for lots of different people. Andy, it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as ever. Thank you very much for keeping me company today. Thank you. And uh, we'll be back, of course, on Football Round with a tomorrow with the preview show. And on Saturday, there'll be another greatest game in association with the Blizzards, expertly presented by Marcus and Jonathan Wilson. Thank you very much for your uh, your support and your uh, your company here on, on the continent. We'll be back this time next week and we'll look forward to it too. Take it easy, stay safe, and we'll see you next time. This was a Stakhanov production.